Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck? A show that explores the power of human connection and the profound resilience of the human spirit through compassionate conversations that help you better understand yourself so you can live with the sense of peace, purpose, and joy that you deserve. Each episode offers a safe space for guests to share intimate details of their personal journey and lessons learned along the way as we all seek to answer life's most important question. Who the fuck am I? Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce and you're listening to Who the Fuck. In today's episode, I am speaking with Catherine Lazarus. And Catherine is an executive presence coach, as well as an author and just overall amazing human being. And so I'm really excited to have a conversation with her today about showing up as your whole self and really making your presence known. So welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you, Nikki, for having me. It is a pleasure to be out here in rainy Langley. Yes, of course. (laughs) Well, was it not raining in Vancouver? No, it was raining in Vancouver, too. Okay, It's raining everywhere today. I mean, my friends back east are getting like 80 degree weather right now and sun. And I'm like, I feel personally offended by the fact that when I moved to the Pacific Northwest, I was told yes. it would be better here. No, no, it's it's definitely um, the April showers bring, bring Mayflowers yeah. part. So the Mayflowers better be fucking spectacular. That's all I'm saying. I'm with you 100%. You can bleep, right? Why would I bleep? The show's called, I bleep the show's called Who the Fuck. Well, but you know, you got the little, uh, little asterisk in the middle. That, that's more. Try to be tidy. If I bleeped everything out, that would never work. The worst part is that my sister has two young kids. And so when I was there for a while, I got in the habit of not being as profane as I usually am. And mm-hmm. then I left for a bit and came back and I was like, oh, I, I need to retrain my brain to not say fuck in front of, in front of a three-year-old. You know, right. It's better that they don't learn that as it's, early. Yeah, that's true. Although. Judging by the evidence on TikTok of all the children saying fucking hell in the middle of something. Yeah. Yeah. Full. I mean, they pick it up. So, of well, course. And right. one of my guests was saying, if you use it and it's funny, then like, I'll give you a pass. I have another friend who said to me, well, as long as you use it correctly. Well, that's true. I actually wrote a whole poem about that called On Profanity. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. In my in my in my alter in my other life. Well, I also love, and I also love that you're a poet because mm-hmm. growing up, I wrote so much poetry, and that was definitely rooted in this, I think, combination of really strong, uh, like I really love transcendentalist poetry and things like that. But I feel like unrequited love was mm-hmm. the impetus <laughs> of like every poem I ever wrote, or yeah. a subtle self-loathing. The good thing is. Is I've worked on both of those things in therapy. Okay. Yeah, good. How's your poetry now? I don't write it. Then. <laughs> What's the fear of artists everywhere? If, I, if I'm not in pain, yeah. then I won't write anything good. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm happy. What do I do now? I Create really content with my wife. That's- I know, right? <laughs> write about being happy. Talk about other existentialist things. Yes. Well, that's it, right? I think that's a, a great jumping off point existentialism at its finest. (laughs) Who are we? Why are we here? What's going on? How did you land in the position that you're in right now with your coaching business and just sort of in life, finding this sweet spot with helping people show up fully? It was a lot of, I hate my job. Well, I that resonates. (laughs) Right. That, that was where it started was I, my first careers were in the opera. Mm-hmm. So I was singing classical music here in San Francisco, in Vienna, and in other places around the world. It was fun. And what happened, and then I was teaching music in the elementary school system as well, part-time, because my parents are like, you have to get a real job. It happens. I know. <laughs> you know what's super funny is my songwriter partner now, he heard my CD from like when I did a CD when I was preparing for med auditions when I was mm-hmm. 20-something. And he heard the CD and he goes, your parents didn't take this seriously. And I went, no. He goes, that's fucking criminal. And I'm like, well, I appreciate the props. Yeah, that's a nice validation, right? This guy's got a PhD in music. He works with all kinds of people. And it was nice. It was nice. Even still, it's nice to get validation from time to time. I was going to say, who doesn't love validation? I know, right? And it's the best when it's completely unprompted. Yeah. Like, you know, he just, it was just really nice. It was nice to hear that. So in any case, um, I was in those careers and fucking broke. Like, I was so poor. I also understand that, yes. So <laughs> poor, so poor. And I had to go back. I was freelancing. Well, yeah, I was freelancing, trying to get out. I did a year of unpaid leave. 
and was just doing dinner theater in town and was just really fucking broke. And so I had to go back to teaching. And every time I went back to the classroom, I felt like I was going to jail. Oh, I hate that. I, I feel that viscerally, though, because I mm. hated a job so much multiple times in my life that mm. you wake up in the morning and you're like, I can't believe I have to fucking do this again. I don't want to do it. And then you just yeah. like sort of start to feel it in your body, how much yeah. you physically disdain yeah. going where you have to go and knowing that it's a survival mm -hmm. mechanism. That's right. Like mm -hmm. you have to do it. Yeah. You have to do it. Um, which is kind of dishonorable to the profession of teaching because there are incredible teachers and there are people who love that job mm -hmm. and want to be doing that job and and they should do that job. You're right. Right. Yeah, so, you know, so what happened to me is I had to go back to teaching and I was in it for a few years and I had a lung tumor. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So and I know exactly why, because it was so bad. I used to wish something would kill me. Like bad because I'm I'm too stubborn to do it myself. So you're a good manifester. I'm a good manifester. And so I had this lung tumor and literally my husband looked at me. He said, these jobs are, are suffocating you. You need to leave. Right. Good. Good. Yay for good partners. You know, you know what? What? It's funny because so as we said, Catherine is the first person I've had in studio in a very long time. It's oh, post-COVID. Post-COVID. It's so exciting. The big local. We made the effort to be here. And the last job that I was at in tech, I was so miserable. I got off a call. I was crying. I was like, I just, I hate this so much. I'm so not doing what I'm supposed to do. And Nicole was like, then quit. Like, leave. <laughs> Stop. It's literally making you physically ill day after day. You can't sleep. You're anxious. You're stressed. Like, it's just not worth it. And so I, that's how I landed back into, she's like, pursue the podcast. That's what you care about. That's what you love. That's what you're good at. Like, just <laughs> do it. It just, gave me this massive sense of freedom. And it sounds like your husband oh. supporting you did the same thing. Same thing. Yeah. So um, I, of course, then was pursuing treatment. Um, and the interesting thing was, as soon as I got free, yeah. I started to think, oh, so I'm a lung tumor. I'm like, hey, little lung tumor. Um, I'm good. I don't need to die to be free. So you did your job and now you can, you can, you can go away now. Appreciate your help. See ya. And then six months later, the tumor was gone and I had a job doing corporate training at PricewaterhouseCoopers. Okay, quick question. Mm -hmm. So you had treatment for the tumor? Well, here's the interesting part. So they did all the tests and biopsies and they didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. They couldn't determine whether it was malignant. They couldn't really determine if it was benign. They didn't know. They said, okay, so let's watch it. So I was basically on this watch list. Mm -hmm. A different kind of watch list. Not no, the good kind. That, yeah. <laughs> Is there a good kind of watch list? Yeah, Netflix. Oh, yeah, two watch lists. Come on. Yeah, okay, that, okay that's fair. That's like fair. It feels like an <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> right? Because it was shrinking, they said, wait. And then I just kept thinking, I don't need this, I don't need this, I don't need this. And, and that was it. So I started doing this corporate job, but kind of in the in-between time, I was doing a couple of other odd job type things. I was doing some outside sales, calling, getting appointments set for an interior design company. Because mm -hmm. I kind of like doing that. But in any, in any case, because I didn't know anything about sales, I hired a sales coach because I'm a big fan of coaching. Right? Mm -hmm. You don't know how to do something, get a coach. Yeah, learn. Like learn it. And when that sort of opportunity went sideways and I went into PricewaterhouseCoopers, I still had time with him. And he was sort of an alpha male dude. And we're, you know, sitting at, across from his big desk and he's like leaning back in his chair and he literally looked at me and said well what do you want to be when you grow up little lady and like today i'd be like you're fired don't talk to me like that pack your knives and you get out um but it was such a startling question and the way that he asked it was startling and i literally had a vision this is super weird it's never happened to me since it had never happened before how long ago was this by the way this was in 2007 okay so it's a while ago. Okay. A while ago. But I literally had this vision of, it was like, this little circle, Times New Roman font, silver lettering, purple background. I see you in a circle. Image consulting underneath it. And the first tagline I ever used, which was intensive care for your image. Which I was like, <laughs> Yeah, but I started to laugh. Okay. I was like, Oh, I see you. I'm yeah. like all the, all the okay. things. That's good. Just laugh my ass off. And yeah. then I was like, that's not even a real job. Like, who does that job? And he goes, it's a real job. You can do that job. And you're like, wait a second. And I'm like, what? And then so, and so I said, well, I, I was like, oh, oh, okay. 
And there's no regulation in that field at all. It is 100% unregulated. If you wanted to start, you could literally hang your shingle out tomorrow and say, I'm an image consultant and nobody would blink. Like it's completely unregulated. Don't hire me to be your image consultant. <laughs> well, well, I don't. And so at the time I thought, I don't know, I've read some books. I look all right. I'll get a website and some business cards and start practicing. Let's see what happens. Why not? Why so not? I, that's what I did. I don't recommend that approach to anybody. Please, please get some training. As a coach, don't, don't do that. Well, particularly in the field of image, because it is so personal mm -hmm. and it's very intimate and it's highly psychological and people forget that. Well, you hear image yeah, and the immediate thought I imagine is it has something to do with your appearance and, and the energy that comes with that appearance. Yep. But you really have to remember that what drives that energy and what drives you to decide how you actually physically appear is what's going on up there and in here. Yeah, 100%. And also, if you're going to be in somebody's underwear drawer, that's very intimate. Yeah. You better have the skills to not fuck them up. Yeah. Yeah. Because there were definitely points in it that I look back on, I'm like, what was I thinking? Because I didn't know any better. Yeah. And then, so I was still working a day job and I built my practice up around the edges part time. When the recession hit, my contract finished abruptly. I was divinely ejected from <laughs> my friend Dory. She says divinely ejected. I like that a lot. Yeah, divinely ejected. From I like that. I had a moment like that too. Yeah, Thanks. right. And so I was like, well, I guess this is a great time to go full time in an image consulting business in the recession. And my husband told me a few years ago, he was like, you know, I didn't say anything when you told me you were going to do that. And I'm good. I'm like, good. But he said, I thought you were crazy. Right. Well, I'm glad we dodged that bullet. <laughs> Uh, and so I got into a government-sponsored program through EI in Canada that was an entrepreneurial development program. So you had a certain amount of time doing entrepreneurial readiness because they wanted to find out if you had the chops mm -hmm. because it's not for the faint of heart. Right? No. And then we did you did like a little bit of business planning and business readiness. And then they just let you run free and you got your EI stipend, but you had to check in with a business advisor and, the, and then you had a certain amount of time to grow your business. And the people who did really well in the program already had established careers. And those of us that were starting something entirely new didn't do as, as well right off the hop, but well enough to survive. I mean, even surviving this long is an accomplishment in your own business because most businesses fail within, what did they say, like a year and the rest of them file, fail the next year yeah. <laughs> or like within five years, you're dead. Yes. And th at that time I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to do this seriously, then I need to be trained. And yeah. so I went to Toronto and I did my certificate certificates in image and advanced image consulting there at the International Image Institute. There's trainers in New York and in California, and they all have different kinds of systems, but it's all essentially getting at the same thing. Mm -hmm. But I went to train with Karen Brunger because um, she took a really holistic approach, which I liked. Yeah, okay, and I appreciate it. So, and it's Canada and, you know, Toronto was easy. So I went there uh, and then I interned with her. Um, and then she made me her Western Canada image trainer because I'd had all this education background. And she needed somebody out here. So I was teaching consultants how to be consultants at Langara, which is a college here in Vancouver. Isn't it funny, by the way? Yeah. The way your previous career that you were yeah, building yeah. so much helped propel you in the, to yeah. the place you are now. Because I see that a lot in things that I do, too. And you're For just sure. like, in the moment, I can't fathom mm -hmm. how it's going to matter because it feels like such a waste of energy and time. Yes. And then it's really nice when those little moments pop in and you're like, Oh, oh, it yeah. wasn't a complete waste of my college education or no. the career that I've spent 10 years, 15 years doing. It's no. like it does serve a purpose, even if it doesn't really display itself in the moment. Exactly. And that's the thing that I, I talk to a lot of clients about and have talked to a lot of early consultants about as well, is the if you're the kind of person that goes one thing and the next thing and the next thing and off in all these different directions, that's going to drive all of the linear progression people crazy mm -hmm. because they go A, B, C, D. and very clear for them. And they, you look like a crazy person to them because you're going off right. in all these different directions. But what you're doing is you're actually creating the spokes of a web. And then eventually you're just a web thinker. You're not a linear thinker. You're a web thinker. You know, it's funny that you said that too, because so when I was a kid and we had to brainstorm things for school or whatever, they would have us do like mind maps, essentially. Mm -hmm. They called them, called them webs at the time, actually. Yeah. And I remember my mom being really frustrated with that because she's like, I don't understand why you're not just doing outlines. And the thing is, is that there's like a place and a time for an outline and there's a place and a time for a mind map. And right. I feel like 
because of the way that she grew up and the way that she thought and, and sort of that linear mentality was this is the best way to sort through your thoughts. And so therefore, mm-hmm. that's how you can do it. And it's like, but also not everybody thinks that way either. Exactly. And so the what you just described is exactly like that, right? It's you don't have to do it this way every single time. You no. can do it the way that feels right. And that is still valid. It doesn't mean that you're wrong. It just means that you're doing it differently. And it's really hard to accept that when you... I've been told like this is the way that you're supposed to do it or this is the way that the people who have done it already have made successful careers or lives or whatever. And yes. that's just it's not it's not one size fits all because we are not one size. No, we are not. We're just not. And that's what I really like about the field that I'm in because I'm a bit of an outlier in the image world because I fucking hate shopping. I don't give a shit about fashion. Uh, I'm much more interested in who are you as a person and what are the tools and skills that you need to have in order to be seen, heard, and valued at certain levels of leadership. That's my jam. And that's what it should be, Mm -hmm. honestly. I mean, I spent a good chunk of my career in HR technology, so I saw a lot of the inner workings of the actual businesses and how they're acquiring employees and how they're raising people through the system and promoting them. And it's like, There's so much more value that people can add if you give them freedom to be themselves. Mm -hmm. And when you just pigeonhole them into like the way that feels right for you as a business because you're just trying to maximize your profits, you don't realize that like while you have short-term gains happening, that the longer-term impact of the lack of retention, the turnover that you're going to have with your employees, the lack of loyalty when people get to the point where they're like, I fucking hate this, right? It's like, those things will all weigh on your bottom line. You just can't see it right now. And right. so having people like yourself who have that philosophy is so important. And it's, and it's important not just for businesses and the employees in those circumstances, but for you as a coach and individual to be able to bring that uh, awareness to people mm-hmm. so that they can start to think about it differently. Mm-hmm. And when I work with, corp- when I work with collective, so I work with individuals and I work with collective and I work mm-hmm. with women. My focus is women. I love it. Because we know that there's systemic barriers. Mm-hmm. There's shit tons of data. Google it, right? If you want to, if you don't know by now that women face systemic barriers to leadership, then fuck, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> where, where have you been? Right? <laughs> Get on the bus. Um, and there's so much data that speaks to the power of diversity economically. Absolutely. In the world. And so anything I can do to get women into senior leadership faster, then that's what I'm going to do. That's amazing. Right. And my my work with women is not like I'm not working with people who are sad about it because there is a time to be sad about barriers, to feel all your feels and be in the, you know, in the burrito in the bed and crying and like emoting. Like it, there's a place for that. Mm-hmm. Therapy is a great place for that. Right. Yes, a huge is. fan of therapy. I, I, I'm a big fan. I'm a big therapy fan is great. I feel like both of the episodes I've recorded this week have led me to things that I will discuss tomorrow in therapy. Yeah. Right. That's good. It's good. Um, so therapy is a great place for that. And what I found is women who come to work with me are women who are stuck, but they're mad about it. And when I say mad, when they're like, well, I'm not mad, but you know, I'm a little bit frustrated. I'm like, frustrated is a function of mad. There's yeah. only four feelings, mad, sad, scared, happy. You might be tired, might be hungry, right? Yeah. But even if you're lonely, that's a function of sad. Yeah. If you're irritated, that's a function of mad, mm-hmm. right? I learned this by teaching emotion to kids in kindergarten. And I learned it myself at the same time at the age of 28. Right. I'm like, oh, what's an emotion? Okay. I love that though. And I also feel like this is one of those things where I, um, really thought about it when you look at just the state of the world and how being angry is what makes people hateful. Being afraid is what makes people hateful. So it's like Mm -hmm. you just it's kind of like a color wheel, but with emotions. Right. (laughs) Totally. And and we just don't have the same kind of rich emotional vocabulary because we haven't paid attention to that. Yeah. And we haven't been taught to pay attention to your point. Exactly. Yeah. You're not you're not taught. So you don't know. And so for me, women also have been taught to move ahead by sacrificing everything, right? We stand on the shoulders of women that came before us. Yep. In my lifetime, my mother couldn't get a bank account in her own name or a credit card in her own name. And that's only 50 some years of time. And now women need to learn that what got us here is not going to get us there. 
Yep. That continued sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice is not the next level. The next level is I care for myself and I care for you. Yeah. We do not live in an either or world. You're totally right. I mean, intersectionality in almost every aspect of our life, right? Because yes. it gets back to that idea of wholeness. That's right. If you are trying to do everything for everybody, you compromise yourself. 100%. And I see it with, I mean, so my mom had a career before really many women her age did. She she was 72 when she passed away. She had her, she had her associate's degree essentially, mm-hmm. went to a two-year college because that's all really anybody did when she was in school. Yep. And she said most people were going for their MRS. So like they were going to have the qualifications to be married. Yeah. Like, that's my goal. That's insane. to be married. I know. And when I read her old yearbooks and things like that, the amount of people that were like, you're going to be so great at what you do. Like she was really um, well renowned in the radio world for a long time. And she ended up being a stay at home mom, which I'm grateful for. And mm-hmm. I appreciate and mm-hmm. know that you're listening and you hear this. Um, <laughs> Thanks, mom. I I didn't say it enough while you were here. I'm sorry. Um, but, yeah. you know, it was also that sense of you have to do one or the other. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do both, the expectation is that, and I see this now even with people who are my friends or my sister, anybody really, if you are the the mom, in more cases than not, you are still that primary um, parent. Mm-hmm. So you're working and you still have to do all those other things. And that's a big part of why Nicole and I've talked about not wanting to have kids because it's like, it's not even entirely about not wanting to have kids. Mm -hmm. I don't want the responsibility of being a parent when I already have enough shit on my plate that I don't feel like doing for me. Right, right. And I think if you want a very intense personal growth experience, have children. Yeah. Because they are designed to push every single button you have and then some. Yeah. That's their job. They're going to find new buttons you didn't know you had. Yep. They're going to they're gonna poke on shit that you're like, ow! Yeah, what the hell is that? Literally and figuratively. Uh, literally and figuratively. <laughs> Correct. And so for me, because I had taught for 12 years in the school system, that was our decision as well. My husband and I were like, nope. Because of the amount of responsibility. And it was funny because my therapist at the time, she said, you know, the problem with the world is that people like you that would probably be perfectly fine parents are saying no. And people that are like, not very great parents are like, no, whatever, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. And it's like, but it shouldn't be our responsibility you to know? compensate for that. <laughs> very true. Uh, very true. But please stop that. You know, yeah. I'm like, kids are, yeah, anyway. Um, and I love kids. Yeah. I do love kids. I love my friends' kids. I'm a fabulous auntie. It's great. Same. I, I live to be fun, Aunt Nikki, mm. because then I can just like come in, do the fun stuff, bring the gifts, mm-hmm. have a little party, and then bounce when they start acting crazy. Yeah, no. No, and and parents need that. They need the other people in their lives, right? And I think our society has swung really way too far to individuality and not far enough to... So people are thinking, what's in it for me? How can I get mine? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be self-expressed. I want to live my best life. I, 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 I. And what people fail to consider is I have rights as an individual and I have responsibility. So again, it's not that either or world, but that's that's where we are. We're trying to live in this either or situation. I am either an individual or I am with the community, mm-hmm. but it's both. Yeah, yeah. I have responsibilities as an individual to give back, to um, create as well as consume. Oh, I love that. And right? I have to say, the conversation you and I had first, I walked away from that conversation with like 10 tidbits that I was like, I've written these down. These are nuggets of knowledge that I will consume and I will keep with me. It's these little sort of nuggets that people can hear and then say, oh, you know what? I relate to that. That's Mm -hmm. more palatable. And then so you start Mm -hmm. to open your mind and your ability to be more flexible in what you thought you believed or knew about yourself. And Mm -hmm. and you can re-architect that based on what you truly know and how you how you feel about that and and acknowledging that you can grow into those things too Mm -hmm. you don't have to you shouldn't remain the same that you will have been no although i really believe that who you are at four is who you are at 104 the core of who you are doesn't change yeah there's a there's a beautiful poet uh lives in the bay area in san francisco her name is mary Mackey, and in her book the dear dance of eros she has this beautiful poem and in it she says i grew in rings like a tree and at the center, I'm always 10 with pink glasses and braces. 
That's so beautiful. It's gorgeous. And I forgive me, Mary Mackey, if you if you happen to hear this and it's 11 instead of 10, I can't remember. But but the but it's beautiful. And her poetry is great and you should check it out. But um it's this idea of the layers that put that grow on us and the some of the layers that get put on us are don't belong to us. They're things that were speckled on by people that didn't really understand us or were afraid or didn't know what to do with us. And so the job of unlearning is as important as the job of learning yeah. in this kind of work that I do around helping somebody really embrace their full self. Because if there is a place where someone is not feeling heard, seen, valued, and they cannot therefore apply all of their talents, skills, and abilities to whatever it is they're doing in the world, that's a problem for us yeah, as a definitely. society. Right? Boxing people in is not the way to go. The age of compartmentalization is over. Well, I mean, that's it's over. spot on. And I think that that's one of the biggest things with like my parents' generation talking about people who are, I mean, really, I'd probably say 60s, 70s upwards mm-hmm. is that the the emotional intelligence part of it wasn't there. Because, well, they didn't know. Well, and because like their parents were depression era. Yeah, it's like right? they, they were like survive. Yes. The goal is to survive. Yeah, right. <laughs> like fold the tinfoil, scrape the butter off. Like full, like you might need that, right? Yeah. And so now yeah. it's like we have more space mm-hmm. to explore those things, coupled with more opportunity to understand it because there's a higher volume of mm-hmm. information mm-hmm. coming to us more rapidly. Right. And and. I think what scares some people is that like, well, it's on the internet. How can you trust it? And it's like, everything's on the internet. So well, you have bet, to apply your critical thinking. Like critical thinking is still a thing. Yes. So like when I hear people, my my coach was talking about this this morning on one of his, um, he does these like quarterly update mm-hmm. things. His name is Alan Weiss. He's also really cool. Um, And he was saying this piece about how, you know, everybody's freaking out about chat, GPT and AI. And Mm -hmm. yeah, of course, there are always sinister implications to everything in the world. And there are also amazing implications to everything in the world. And he was talking about the fact that um, um, that's not going to replace the ability to critically think. It's like, yes, if AI has a consciousness, fine. However, my feeling is we need to focus, excuse me, we need to focus on being more human. Yeah, uh, more I, human, more hu- as as human as we can possibly be. I totally agree right? with you, and I think um, it, on your website, I think it said something about how you focus on. Actually, I have a note: self awareness, expertise, and humanity. Yes, and the thing that drives me the most insane, and the opportunity that I see as the biggest is to regain our humanity, reframe it as the most important yes. thing yeah. that we have in this life, because. We've gotten to this place where the important thing is the ability to, as you said, it's thinking in the form of I. And what I see and love about the younger generations is that they're empowered Mm -hmm. to do more and they're doing it together. They see the impact of the collective. Mm -hmm. I feel like I was so disengaged when I was younger. It was like I didn't think it mattered. Mm-hmm. And I feel like part of that, to be honest, was a little bit by design of older generations to make us not feel like we had to contribute and then they could keep control. I don't know if that's the case. It feels philosophically like, like it might be when I look at things and I'm mm-hmm. like, why were we not? We were kind of told this is the way the system works. Yes. There you go. And not <laughs> you can change the system. Do more. You know, it's. Yeah. And now, granted, like I grew up in the 90s and I feel like that was a time where, yes, things were obviously going on, but it was it felt. I don't know, less intense. Maybe that's also because the internet wasn't prevalent. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. it's like we have the opportunity to take lessons from these people who are younger than us, who are seeing the world through a different lens and showing up fully at an earlier age. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, that doesn't mean that they've had the life experience to be able to educate us on everything. But the way that they show up and what they're trying to do and what they're standing for in a lot of cases is really beautiful to see mm-hmm. because I wish I had been that activated when I was that age. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, wow, what could I have done if I had been not squashed? Yeah. Right? In in my life in general. Um, and I think, too, one of the things that I, I tell my clients that are in that sort of older age bracket, 40 to 60, mm-hmm. I'm like, if you don't have a mentor under 30, you're going to get left behind. Ooh. Ooh. I like that. Right? Like, pick somebody who's hot and under 30 that's like really like, not hot like hot because, you don't do that. But like, act, 
active and inquisitive and engaged and in their in the world so that you can understand the world. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. This is not mentoring is not just a one-way street. Information is not a one-way street. Our whole world now is flatter. So this is, I think, what people in business But it's also not flat. Well, yeah, it's not flat. No. The world is round. But the hierarchies are flatter. The relationships are flatter. Everything is multi-directional. So people that were were used to the system being linear, were used to the system being structured. Leadership now is not that. It, It was hierarchical. You could rely on your title for authority. You could rely on that structure to give you a sense of power. And then people at lower in the structure didn't have the same power. Like it was just very structured. And leadership now is moving to this model of integrated, relational, and whole. Mm-hmm. That's where we're moving to. So if you yourself are not integrated, which means you are who you are, whether you're in business, you're at home. Because if you're a very different person at work than you are at home, you're lying to yourself somewhere. Well, yeah. I mean, right. that's a really good that's a really good statement. And mm-hmm. regardless of where it is that you're lying to yourself, it's not mm-hmm. okay. It's not, you need to be able to feel safe yeah. in your body and yeah. in your personality that you know that if you show up fully in any of the places that you are, mm-hmm. that you can be comfortable yes. with a sense of acceptance. And I think for me, from a professional perspective, you 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 get so stifled by just sort of the expectations of the broader groups who are concerned about moving up the ladder mm-hmm. and not concerned about facilitating growth for people in the company. And right. I think what, especially when you're young employees, you want to feel like you have a path forward, mm-hmm. but we're not just the, we're not in the mindset of just being ladder climbers. We're in the mindset of, well, how do I feel more fulfilled? How Mm -hmm. do I have more purpose? How Mm -hmm. do I create more value? How can I make more impact? Mm -hmm. And I hate when people see it as like non-compliant almost. Yeah. Like you don't fit. It's, that's a function where senior leaders now really have to be adjusting the sandbox. So they're all saying, okay, we want diverse people. We want young, we want all kinds of people to come and play in our sandbox. And then the people get there and they don't want to stay because, of course, the sandbox is uncomfortable. It's a shitty sandbox. Nobody wants to play in that sandbox. Yeah. But they're they're used to their sandbox. And they're like, well, why won't you stay? And it's like, because you need to change the sandbox. Mm-hmm. Not your sandbox anymore. Right. Belongs to everybody. You got to make sure everybody can work in it. And that is a hugely, a huge, I can't imagine how it must feel. To be a senior executive who has worked for 40 years in business has amassed a vast amount of experience on the world being predictable, on things remaining the same, just on, (laughs) right? And the culture shock they must be experiencing right now and the cognitive dissonance they must be experiencing right now. I have a lot of empathy for that. I think how difficult that is. You just gave me a lot more grace for people that annoy the shit out of me. (laughs) Right? It's because I remember I had a conversation one time with the CEO and I was talking about women in leadership and he was talking about how he hired this one black woman one time um, because she was the best person for the job because he really believes in merit, but refuses to look at the other pieces that go into merit. And I understand that, like we said earlier, systemic barriers exist. Mm -hmm. They do exist. And denying the reality is dumb. And we also have a responsibility as individuals to step up and and do what we can to shift those barriers. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Right. We have responsibility to change it. We have responsibility to. So people who are in the system, who are used to the status quo, have a responsibility to say, oh, right. We need to adapt to allow people to show up fully. It can't be something where someone shows up with all their talents and and whole self, and then you're like, no, 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 not like that. Yeah, <laughs> Can't be that, can't be that. You have to be able to sit with the complexity of people. And that has not been the way it has been no. in the past. Because so, you know, uniformity is that's right. a big part of what was rewarded. Right. And right. that's why people move jobs a lot more <laughs> in the last two decades than they ever did prior. And I remember... <laughs> Especially being in tech, my parents being like, well, it's going to look bad that you're moving jobs so frequently. I'm like, the only way I will make more money is if I go to a different company. That's right. Because they don't value the people they have. So, I mean, there's things inherent in the business systems and that's not my area of genius. I can see it so I can tell people about it. Yeah. Right. But I 
I don't care about your work back plan. You want me yeah. to facilitate? No, a thousand people can facilitate that session. That's not me. But if you as a company owner are interested in making sure that your people can have deeply transparent and personal conversations, that's my gem. Yeah. Because I believe that if I know you deeply and you know me deeply, then we will be able to progress more quickly and better and create better solutions than we can if we don't really see or trust each other. This is not to say that you can't be private. Like there's still a place for privacy. Mm -hmm. There's still a place for boundaries. There's still a place for where someone is more or less comfortable hearing very personal information. But it, you get to decide that for yourself. And then you get to show up and say, you know what? I, I, like I saw Dolly Parton in an interview and the guy asked her about her politics. She goes, I don't talk about that. She goes, I'm an entertainer. That's it. That's a boundary. Mm -hmm. But she still is showing up as her full self. Yeah. Right? And, and this is the kind of um, leadership that we need now is people who are responsible with the exercise of power. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. And I, it, it comes with an important, uh, an important piece of that is also respect of yes. boundaries because yeah. so much I feel of why the power dynamics are what they are now is because there is a lack of respect for people who might have different ideas or opinions or ways of doing things. And when you restrict that, you're essentially suffocating your ability to progress forward. And the point that you made around like, yes, there can be levels of connection and understanding and they don't have to necessarily be overly intimate, but the company where I'm now, I have, there's, it's so transparent that the, there were a couple of weeks where my boss and I were just like, we weren't able to to get our heads around how to work effectively solving this problem mm -hmm. and to, together. And it was like, it took two or three uncomfortable conversations where nobody's mad at anybody. We're just trying to believe how common we can't navigate this. What is it? What do we do? Yeah. And now I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm in a group. I feel like you've been happy with my performance. This is great. Yeah. Look at what an uncomfortable conversation can do for you. Shocking. Right? It's not that it's not that bad. I'm the company that I'm working with in Dallas, we're talking about accountability now and how to have those uncomfortable conversations. And discomfort is not death. No. No, but we like to treat it like it is sometimes. We do. It's like, oh, I can't go there. It's like, yeah, you know what? You can. And it it, it it's this and it might actually work better for you if you do. Well, it almost always does. Mm -hmm. I the it almost always works for your good, no matter what. Maybe if it's a big blow up and it's a disaster, there's a reason for that. There's some other piece, right? If it's not well received and something happens, that's yeah. for your development for theirs, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but I think having the conversation is better than, but that's just me, right? In my first book of poetry, I wrote the, I'd rather the pain of honesty over the pain of a lie every time. Right? <laughs> because some people would prefer the pain of the lie. I right, they prefer yes. it. They there are people that are will endure low grade annoyance or low grade pain for a long time. And I have a great respect for people that have that level of endurance, that are willing to hold fast and maintain the status quo and like keep that going, and just endure the low grade pain. Because I would rather have a bunch of big pain and then for the gamble of having what a lot more happiness later. Yeah, and that's been my experience. Well, it's interesting right? too because I think about it in terms of my last relationship and just the amount that I would even lie to myself. Right. Yeah. And I was like, that was a, a lot of fucking discomfort that I could have avoided. <laughs> yeah. Right. If I was just honest, you know, yeah. and, I, and I find that that also to your point, it does pertain a lot in business. It pertains mm -hmm. a lot in any interpersonal relationships because when you are not being authentic, when you are not being accountable, how do you come to the right solution? You yeah, know? you can't. You can't. And actually, I just had a really good object lesson with this with my marketing team because I'm, I'm passionate about women in leadership. I want to target um, individuals and I want to you know, work with companies that have the right attitude. And we had started this LinkedIn campaign or this idea around leadership. And they're asking me to write these pieces on sort of generic leadership stuff. And I was like, this fucking sucks. Hmm. I hate this. I don't want to write this. I don't care. Like I'm not talking to those right. big corporations because they're not turning. Yeah. They are not fast enough. You're right. They're not fast enough and that's not where the change is going to come. They're going to be the last to turn. That iceberg is going to be tearing the shit out of those companies before they ever even see it. Mm -hmm. They are so 
slow. And unless somebody in those upper echelons wakes up and realizes that the world is, oh, they're, oh, the world changed like six years ago. Oh, okay. Whoops. Missed that. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, nothing's going to change. So for me, uh, with the marketing team, we had to stop and have an uncomfortable conversation and and come back to what do I, what is the gift that I offer to the world? How do I help? How do I help? And the way that I the way that I help or how I help is I help women feel confident in themselves, in the gifts and talents that they bring to the world, and I help them say it and share it and look it. Yeah. Because no one sees your skills, so you need to look as good as you are. It's just a fact, right? As much as I rail against don't judge a book by its cover, everybody judges all the time because we're wired that way. Mm-hmm. So again, if you know that that's the case, then you need to be equipped with tools and skills to handle those situations. Absolutely. Right? And that's what I do. I'm like, I'm going to give you a plethora of tools to handle all these situations so that you walk out the door every day feeling like you are fulfilled. That you are, And that's not to say it's going to be utopia because it's not utopia for anybody. There's going to be sad burrito baby moments. It's just life, right? You're going to be crying in the bathtub. Yeah, crying in the shower, you know, whatever. You're going to have those moments, but the majority of your life, you're going to feel balls to bones, ovaries, don't forget, I don't know, whatever to right uteri, no, that you are in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. Yeah. And if if we can find the right time, right place for everybody in the world, that is the chef's kiss. Because I think a lot of misery is caused by people not being in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. Yeah, I, I that's a profound point, and I agree with you completely, Catherine. Mm-hmm. And you know, something that that reminded me of too is when we were speaking last, you said it's really important when it comes to being confident and showing up fully that you also are communicating effectively. And yes, uh, you had made the statement: be brief, be brilliant, be done. <laughs> yeah, and I, I picked that up from my friend Sarah in the UK. She's like very sharp. Oh, it hit yeah, me. It great. hit me. I'm, I always joke around that I'm nothing if not verbose. <laughs> so I'm like, I took that to heart. When I think about work environments where I've basically been told kind of don't speak unless spoken to, or you can speak, but not for that long. And it's a very different experience when it's delivered like that, when the mm-hmm. message is delivered like that, that mm-hmm. feels like a shutdown, right? It feels like right. you're being blocked. And so mm-hmm. the way that you're showing up the way that you're communicating is unacceptable versus mm-hmm. you can be more effective at communicating yeah. if you approach it this way. Right. And it's hard, especially I think as a younger employee to receive feedback like that and not yeah. take it personally. And so a big part of my personal slash professional growth has been mm-hmm. learning to be more objective mm-hmm. about the feedback mm-hmm. that I get and not take it so personally, mm-hmm. even when it feels personal. Because right. you have to see it as a learning opportunity yep. or you're going to just honestly be a burrito baby crying in your bed all the time. Right. You're just going to be sad. Yeah. And again, there's a place for sad. I'm thinking of a client that I had who was so frustrated with her boss because uh, my client has an incredible business acumen. And she was at the director level in her company and she was working with this boss who is really ultra linear, which is funny because my client is quite linear too. Mm-hmm. And she was very resistant to going into his office on their one-on-one-to-ones to deal like like he would like he would like an agenda he wants to know what you're talking about he wants he wants to see your work mm-hmm. it's like in a math right it's like you can't just put the answer yeah and and she took it very personally because she's like he should just know that i'm good and the answer is correct and i'm like okay sure right but consider this i said all he wants from you is for you to show your work and for you to go through the exercise of showing your work is good for your thinking and it's good for your communication. And you need to practice Q-tip. Right? Quit taking it personally. And so when I reframed it for her like that, because a lot of the work that I do is around reframing. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you just have to look at things differently. You have to be open to other perspectives. That's a big thing that I learned in therapy. Right? Huge. Because it's like, if you only ever see it the way that you're you're looking at it now, you get stuck in these just wormholes of useless thought processes. Yeah. And sometimes... It's okay to have and keep an initial perspective, but be mm-hmm. open to the idea of other things. That's right. Because people want to connect. They mm-hmm. want to do a good job. They want to be seen. They yeah. want to be heard. They want to be valued. 
everybody, your boss wants to be seen, heard, valued, understood mm-hmm. as much as you do. Yep. So, so after the reframing, she went ahead and she brought some more, um, you know, she did her work, showed her work. And she goes, man, are what, they're so good now. And I'm like, yes, they are. Like, yes, they are. Because you just, you just got to quit taking it so personally. It's not, it's not that he doesn't like you. It's not that he doesn't want to work with you. It's that he doesn't understand you. Yes. And it's interesting too, because when people have different communication styles, Mm -hmm. it can be taken personally when it's really not. And Mm -hmm. so part of it is also addressing the elephant in the room sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like my boss will say to me, since we've had these conversations, Hey, like, I know it seems, might seem like I'm being rough on you. I'm not trying to be, here's this. I'm like, I totally get it. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you saying that to me because it validates me more. Mm -hmm. I wasn't taking it that way. But Mm -hmm. the fact that you communicated it to me means a lot because it shows me that you understand that I take pride in my work. And Mm -hmm. it's not that I would be offended. It's more that I would be hard on myself. Right. Thinking that like this indicates that I'm failing. No. Oh, feedback is not failure. And failure is feedback. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can get both. Yeah. Right. But fail it. Yeah. Feedback is love. Yeah. Feedback is love. That's someone telling you, I care enough about you to tell you that something is not working well. Destructive criticism, an entirely different thing. Well, I like that that is a term that you brought up, though, because destructive criticism is, I feel that applies professionally and definitely Mm -hmm. in toxic relationships Mm -hmm. as well, because the, the goal is not to align and create, um, improvements or opportunity for people the goal is to berate somebody or um kind of at least in my experience take away like your autonomy and mm-hmm. some of those things especially in in the business world as i've lived it is i've struggled with wanting autonomy being told i will get it and never getting it and when you're getting a ton of feedback but you're still also not able to show up fully and you don't have the autonomy you want you're like why am i even doing this yeah why like what's the point if i don't feel respected mm-hmm. i don't feel seen heard valued like you said right. and you do get to a breaking point and and i feel like the point you made about these bigger companies they don't understand i mean i've worked at amazon for 4 years mm-hmm. and they do a lot in terms of like certain things like because they're such a big company, of course, there's pockets here and there where you can give them credit for things. But I remember asking like the VP of um, the HR technology at the time, well, what are we going to do to help, you know, make sure that we're getting candidates into the right roles mm-hmm. so they're happier and they want to stay? And it's like, well, that's not re- we're not worried about getting more candidates. I'm like, but are you worried about retaining the people that you mm-hmm. end up hiring? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're so short-sighted because you're just trying to fill the seats now, mm-hmm. be able to check the box and tell somebody you did it. And you're not thinking, well, our goal should be acquire and then also keep them happy and give them what they need to help them grow. Right. Within reason, you know? Sure. But, sure. And I think the challenge for me, especially in that moment, was just like, I can't gather or I'm sorry I can't grasp how somebody could be so ill-informed about Mm -hmm. the people that you're trying to get in the door like you're Mm -hmm. not paying attention to the person Mm -hmm. behind the the application at all you're paying Mm -hmm. attention to what's on the paper did they get through the interview and are they coming here because that's all I need to do I need to get my numbers and it's like the person who you're hiring as a number doesn't want to be a number right and many of the many of the large companies are measuring the wrong things yeah for today's environment Mm -hmm. they are measuring the wrong things their kpis the key performance indicators are completely off and at the so at the moment as an individual when that level of frustration is reached that is the time where an individual needs to take responsibility to say i am going to invest in myself and i am going to figure out what my next steps are how i'm going to do that because i have seen people and have heard, you know, a lot of people complain, complain, complain about my company doesn't value me. My company won't give me a coach. My company's not showing me the path forward. My company's not giving me this. They're not giving me that. And the people who do the best are, there's, so I have two examples of past clients. One client who is very much like that. So keeps jumping away from things, away from this environment, away from this lack of autonomy, away from this not being seen, away. Instead of stopping and saying, okay, this is not working. What needs to happen for me as a person? How do I need to change to potentially make this work? 
And can I just sit with this for a minute and think about what I want to jump to and then make a concerted effort to find the thing I want to jump to mm-hmm. instead of just constantly jumping from jumping away from. Because guess what? A couple years down the road, she's ready to jump away again. I've been there. Right? Yeah. Many times. Right, fact. right. So, and the investment piece is interesting because um, another the other client on the flip side, she was moving from an executive assistant role in a company, a very, very large professional services firm, into uh, a role outside of the administrative pool. And she's still internal firm services. So she's still doing, now she's doing project management, but she's a manager of, in project management. And how she got there was she uh, connected to me through a partner from that firm. And she decided to make the financial investment and the time investment and the emotional investment in coaching for herself. Good for her. Right. And what she told me, I talked to her on Tuesday, and what she told me is she said, me making the investment made me see that then I better, I fucking better step up and do something with it. Because I just put my own money in the game. She had to learn how to say no to things that were administrative. She had to learn how to say yes to, to reframing things in her mind. And she had to say yes to the investment. And I think one of the things that people sometimes run into is they look at the the cost of something. Um, companies do it. People do it. When they're looking at investments, they look at the cost. And I'm like, mm, you need to look at the value. What is the lifetime value of this work? What is the return on your investment for this type of work? So for example, in my client base, I've had clients get promoted twice in nine months. I've had clients who, for them, the promotion is not the objective, but they feel valued. They feel that they're responsible because it feels good to be responsible. It does. It feels good to have that reciprocity. So I imagine that even if you were to leave this company that you care about and you're really enjoying them, you would be the kind of employee now where you're like, okay, so if I know that I'm going to go, then that makes sure I have to make sure all my documentation that I leave behind is really clear. Right. That someone can follow the breadcrumbs. I need to make sure that if I'm going to go, I can give them a couple weeks notice so that I can tidy up the loose ends totally. or I can finish a project. And I'm willing to do that because they have been willing to change the sandbox yes. for me. Yes. yes. Right? Yeah. So it's a, rece- a reciprocity that needs to exist that has not existed for a long time. You know, it's funny too that you say that because the jobs when I'm like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. It's like, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Not sorry. Right. Like I'm done here. And yeah. And the thing is, is I was not proud of that. But one of the conversations that I had uh, with one of our good friends, Nicole's best friend from growing up, mm-hmm. when I was describing to her, it was actually, I think, the day before I ended up quitting my my other job because it was a little bit more impromptu than I was planning. Mm-hmm. It just there was that thing that pushed me over the edge. And I was like, I can't. Anymore. It's done. It's done. It's done. <laughs> and um, I mean, I still gave my two weeks, but I yep. was like, we're done here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And she said, it just sounds like you feel like you're lacking professional integrity. And I was like, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I even, and the way that I quit was to say, it's not fair to either of us for me to stay here. That's right. Which because, is how you would quit a relationship anyway. Yeah. Because Any I, relationship. Yeah. I mean, if I had done that effectively previously, yeah, that would have been Right. That would have been good. No, actually, right. I did end my last one that way. It just didn't go well. Um, wow. Yeah, but, but that wasn't on me, right? Like, and that's yeah. the thing you can't be accountable for everybody nope. else. So. Your side is clean, and the, and that's what in, that's thinking about about being an integrated leader is that you function in integrity, yeah. that you you stand for what you believe in, that you're willing to be open to new information when it comes and to changing your mind, that you will fiercely um, defend, fiercely protect, fiercely go for support the people that are that are in your world. That it's that it's that reciprocal responsibility that we are missing, I think, and and in we're missing relational skills, we're missing pieces that we don't that people don't have, and part of my world is supplying just like I can do my one little corner, and my one little corner is good, and that's how we change the world. Yeah, we change the world one small action at a time. So for anybody who's listening to this, anybody in the audience that thinks that their presence here doesn't matter, you're wrong. You're wrong. You might not see it, you know, maybe you don't know what it is, but it's it's you being responsible to yourself first, right? You know, whatever container you're here in is the perfect container to do whatever you're meant to do on the planet. So get used to your meat suit, right? And and make friends with your essence of like who you are and then go find the place where that fits. Yeah, I love that. I like that right? you said make friends with the essence of who you are. And it's so important to acknowledge that 
you matter and mm-hmm. that if you feel like you don't, what is it that's stopping? Yeah, like that? inquire. Yeah. Inquire. And if you can't, if you can't figure it out, like if you try to do that and you can't figure it out yourself within 30 days, then you need help. Yeah. And if you can't figure it out within 90 days and you continue to try to not figure it out, then fuck you. Like, what are you doing? Well, it's like because you have a choice too. You do. And and I understand, especially if you're in the States, right? Like it, it oh, can be hard to get yeah. help. It can be hard to yeah. afford those things. Mm-hmm. But the the thing is, there are also a lot of ways to solicit help from a community of people that you have. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, ask for help. Mm-hmm. You are not a burden. The things that you need are not just my stomach's rolling. Sorry. <laughs> the, thing, the things that you desire are not absurd, you know, like mm-hmm. you're allowed to have what you want. And I feel like a lot of people believe that it's selfish to want what you want or to do things to get what is good for you into your life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's okay to be selfish because it's being caring for yourself does not mean that you no longer care about other people. No, it means you're serving yourself mm-hmm. and you're being honest with yourself and you have that integrity. And when you come with that, you are going to show up at such a better version of who you are mm-hmm. that you're going to attract more to yourself too. And I remember this moment where my therapist said this to me mm-hmm. and she's like, the more authentic you are, the more you are going to magnetize people. That's right. And I have such a vivid memory of that moment, Catherine, because it's like <laughs> I'm sitting across from her and I'm like, mm-hmm. and I think I thought of it very broadly at the time. Right. And in retrospect, and I've said this to her since, I realized you, you were saying that like very much to me in that moment, like, Hear what I'm saying to you. Recognize who mm-hmm. you are. Mm-hmm. And it was just so amazing to watch that come to fruition, especially because the podcast has done that for you in so many ways. Yeah, It's like sitting here with you, having this conversation, talking to people about who they are and what it is that we have been brought here with our purpose to do. Mm-hmm. And the journey of self-discovery to get there, it is mm-hmm. not one lane. It is, oh, no. you have to find the complicated map of your world and figure out how to navigate it. Yeah, Sure, it would be easier if we just like followed the straight and narrow, but it would be far less exciting. I've driven through the desert for six hours on one road and it sucks, okay? (laughs) It's like boring as fuck. So like take the detours, do the things that make (laughs) you feel right and just keep being true to who you are. Like it is Mm -hmm. the most important thing and so much of... So much value can come from that as you've shared and and what you've Mm -hmm. done with your clients and how you've even gotten to where you are. I mean, I just I love the diversity of opportunities that you've had and taken Mm -hmm. and evolved between, you know, it's like (laughs) I've had like five different lives now. Yeah, but it's cool because Mm -hmm. I think that that shows that you you are exploratory and Mm -hmm. you have a desire to know yourself. Mm -hmm. And I that resonates a lot with me. I feel like I grew up thinking that I knew who I was. And like you said, you know, kind of who you are at four and 104 is the same. And yeah. I, I do, you know, I do feel that. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. And I also think, gosh, the reason my teen years were probably so fucking uncomfortable for me is mm-hmm. because not this they are your teen years, but that because I wasn't being who I was and I knew I wasn't being mm-hmm. who I was. Yeah. You know, you're being, you know, when you're being fake. Yeah. And it you wasn't, know. and it wasn't in a way that was like, intentionally fake it was feeling like i had to fit somewhere that i wasn't meant to fit yeah that's right it's like you know your container is not quite you're like oh this this environment is not good for me it's really important i think if there are any parents listening um the thing is i i think you you absolutely know who you are at four like at that young age you know you have that i am internally Mm -hmm. that says who you are and what really good parents do is they act as very good reflective surfaces where, you know, a kid will say, I'm an artist, mommy. Um, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Like, and, and continue to say yes and say, you know, yes, and. Mm-hmm. Right. I love what my writing coach does for me now. Like uh, when I was writing my first book, I had this chunk of poetry that I'd written that the book was kind of constructed around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she said, okay, well, we need the background. Can you write the background? I'm like, sure. I go away, talk, 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 write a bunch of poems about the background on this story. And then she said, okay, great. Okay. You're in love. La, la, la. This is great write the teeth where are the teeth and i'm like oh i can write the teeth watch me write the right write the teeth and and it was always a yes and it was always an improvisatory yes and Mm -hmm. and i think kids really need that um that good reflection to help them understand who they are 
Yeah. Right. Because you have a lot of, I think when you're a kid, you have a lot of uncontained energy, right? You're, you, you're sort of running around and your, your skill, like everything is like, it's like your body. Like you just don't really understand how to use it. Yeah. And your personality, you just don't really understand how to use it. And, and good parents can really help craft that or they can kill it. Yeah. Well, you're right, right because it's so easy to stifle that mm-hmm. um, because it, it becomes a learned behavior to hold back. That's right. That's right. You become really quiet and or you do the opposite like me and get really loud and get get in trouble all the time. Right? I was the one who um, needed to learn to think before I spoke. <laughs> yeah, right. Think before you speak. It's like, why do I why would I want to do that? I'm like, <laughs> so why would I not just react? I'm dropping truth bombs left, right, <laughs> and center. It's not my fault you can't take it. <laughs> right? Which, you know, it's not my like fine. Myself is like yeah. a four-year-old doing that too. Though, and I feel like that's not super far off. And it's hard. It's hard as a parent to handle a you know a four-year-old or a three-year-old or a two-year-old or whatever. It's a kid looking you straight in the face and telling you something that's true. That you don't like. That you don't like. <laughs> And you and you don't know what to do with it and you want to control it and you think your job is to control, but your job is not to control. Your job is to pilot and mm. guide, right? You're acting like like guardrails. Yeah. Um Do you feel a little bit yeah. like that's how um in coaching it can be too? Oh, totally. Yeah. You're completely the guardrails for somebody because I ca- I cannot um I can't help somebody who doesn't want to change. Yeah. And I have had clients where I where somehow they made it made it through the vetting process and we get into it and I'm like, oh. Oh, yeah, you, you're not ready. You don't really want to change. Yeah. So this is a really frustrating process for me and for you. So let's just quit it. Yeah. And I have cut engagements short. Um, less so now because people are self-selecting a lot better. I'm like, look, if you're a woman, you're not feeling seen, heard, and valued, you want to make a change for yourself, whether you want to make a big change in the world or not. You want to make a change for yourself so you can show up and you're done being sad about it. Now you're mad about it. That's the perfect fit for me. Because you're mad enough to make the investment and make the change. Yeah, I love right? that. That's who comes to me. Because, you know, people hire me to put them in the fire. It's a fucking crucible. It's going to hurt. You're going to hate me. There's going to be parts of times where I'm going to tell you something and you're going to be like, oh, oh, <laughs> right? And you will be transformed. Yeah, you'll come back and you'll feel a yep. sense of resilience and yep. transformation yep. that you wouldn't have otherwise had if you didn't have the catalyst for that's that. That's right. The validation the support, the confirmation of who you think you are, yeah, of your skills to get you to think about yourself in a different way. Ooh, yeah, you're totally right. right. And I think, well, that was literally how I came to the podcast. I was like, who mm-hmm. the fuck am I? Right. Who am I? Yeah. You're like, I don't know. I was like, I guess I should try to figure this out because I don't yeah. really like the way my life's going. And right. the funny thing is, is it was when I was at Amazon and mm-hmm. I was less than a year in, I think, to maybe about a year into working there. and. That was the whole reason I started going to therapy. And I just said it last week, I think, to my therapist. Isn't it funny? I've been with you for almost five years now. And the whole reason this started was because I was so miserable at my job. A year later, I decided I was going to start the podcast. But then my life really blew up all over the place. And it makes you forget the whole reason I was here was because I hated my job so much. (laughs) Oh, there's always more in the closet than clothes. Yeah. Which is I used to say to clients when I was dressed. I'm like, there's more. There's always more. Yeah. Right. That little bit of misery is just an indicator of other things. Yeah. And it takes a fair amount of courage to say, I'm going to look. Absolutely. Catherine, I have loved this conversation (laughs) so much. Thank you for joining me. It's my pleasure. So can you tell our listeners where it is best to follow you and find you online so they can learn more and check out some of your content? Yeah. If you want to find me on LinkedIn. You can also join my community. So if you go to my website, which is lzrkconsulting.com or for the Americans in the room, lzrkconsulting.com, sign up, right? On the newsletter, contact us, sign up on my newsletter community and join us and change the world. And if you want a, a sort of a taste of some other interesting things on Instagram, I can, I'm there too. And that's a little bit more personal. And my marketing team is trying to get me, get me in line. <laughs> get me on point because, you know, I, I want, you might've noticed I wander a little bit. Um, story of my life <laughs> but also that's that's, cool. that's what makes it fun and um, all so of those fun. links will be in the show notes for anybody who wants to check out Catherine's work and learn more about what she and her team are doing and thank you so much Catherine gang that's all for this episode of who the fuck and we'll catch you on the side thanks for listening to who the fuck and if you like what you hear share the show with your friends family coworkers, or anyone else you think needs a healthy dose of introspection and raw authenticity 
Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated. And you can also visit whothefck.com to check out more content. Plus, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at whothefck underscore pod to keep up to date with what's new in my world and for exclusive bonus content. Catch you on the flip side. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the city of angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.